Side Broadcast, the best Vox casting either side of the breach. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mother's going to buy you a mockingbird. Hush, little baby, D don't you cry. You're really starting to freak me out here. Hush, little baby. Whoa, 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 actually, that's no normal baby. Okay, everybody, J just, just back away, really slowly. That's right, um, so this is Tales of Malifaux. I am your announcer, joined today by our special guest, the weird other baby, sitting over there in the corner. He's eyeing me up expectantly, as if he is waiting for something. Perhaps he is waiting for this week's story. This week is more special than every other episode after all. This week, we wrap up our very first story arc. Perhaps if I move my hand towards the switch that will play the story... Ah, uh, yes! The child does seem to be waiting for that. Time to put my best switch-pressing finger forwards. Beverages at the ready, bottoms placed on the edge of your seat, and firmly clenched, a sideways glance at the disturbing other child that is in all of our homes, looking up ready at the Ethervox. The first part of the finale. The first part of the Wendigo. The Wendigo. The Erebus travelled quickly through the marshy water. Molly Squidpitch had been on this vessel before, not as the undead creature she was now, but as a living woman. It was a hazy memory, though it had been less than a year ago. She stood now upon the prow of the ship, the remains of Philip Tumas held out before her like some grisly figurehead. He rasped directions to her, his voice growing ever fainter and more tremulous as they approached Kythera. The guild pilot, in whose ear Molly whispered Philip's words, gripped the tiller with white-knuckled hands, and never once looked her in the eye. Rasputina and Seamus had been disarmed and shackled. They were chained to the railing and sat against it on the steel deck of the ship. The soul stone Rasputina had received from Ramos was taken, as was the Gorgon's tear. Sonia chose not to mention the curse, as she directed one of her officers to relinquish the jewel from Seamus. The marsh opened out before the steamship as the towering ruins of Kythera came into view. At their approach, the sky swirled above the ancient temple with a mass of black clouds. All eyes were on the ruins, and none on board noticed the smaller vessel following in their wake. The tall spires of Kythera towered over Erebus, the sleek hull sailing slowly between them. Up close, the jagged pillars were massive, the dark metal of their construction somehow unblemished despite all their years in the swamp. Even at their base, where they disappeared into the black water, not a shred of moss or lichen clung to them. Molly pointed the ship toward a series of linked platforms made of some strange metal. Molly pointed the ship toward a series of linked platforms made of the same strange metal, threaded between the hulking spider-leg ruins. The ship nudged against the remains of this decayed structure, and guild officers leapt off to secure lines bow and aft. Sonia had been lost in Philip Tumor's journal since the ship set off and she glanced up as the ship juddered to a halt and realized that several people had been calling her name. She quickly stowed the book in her coat and climbed down the landing ladder, amazed by what she saw. All around her was the science of an extinct people. 
Every part of it was alien. But the characters stamped into the wheels and cogs that comprised the spires were familiar to her. Turning to Lady Justice, Sonya said, These characters are the same as those used in the volumes at the George Library site. This journal is our dictionary. I'm positive that I can decipher some of these. We've come only to close the font, Sonya, Justice said sternly. I suggest you focus your efforts on that. She began issuing orders to secure the site. Sonya ignored her more zealous colleague and set to work with journal and notebook, scribbling down every inscription she could find. Samael interrupted her quietly. What about the prisoners? I'd like to keep them where I can see them. Sonya paused, gnawing her lip. I need them. Especially that witch. I have something in mind for her. Bring them down and keep a close watch. Both Seamus and Rasputina were in a rough state, although Lady Justice herself had used a small soul stone to staunch the bleeding in their wounds and avoid infection setting in. Seamus, however, had needed some additional attention not long into the voyage. The judge had survived the gun blast from Seamus' hand cannon and been sent to Malifaux City to recover, but the guardsmen had decided to exact little retribution for their wounded leader. Seamus' face was badly bruised, and one eye nearly swollen shut, although he seemed oblivious. Armed officers brought Seamus, Molly, and Rasputina from the ship, two men to each of their chains. As they walked shoulder to shoulder along a narrow promenade, Seamus whispered to Rasputina, No hard feelings, love. You put up a mean fight, sure. I'm thinking we're here for the same thing. Hope you don't mind sharing it with those Seamus now. Rasputina shook her head. You and I have nothing in common and you have no notion what brings me here. She gazed up into the sky at the storm brewing overhead. Already a thin shower of sleet rained down on the ruins, making the uncertain footing even more dangerous. The guardsmen and marshals drew their hats down over their heads and wrapped their coats tighter around their bodies. The dark waters of the swamp lapped the bare edges of the metal platforms and gurgled underneath. The hastening wind brought the sickly sweet smell of decay and the first swirls of snow. Climbing higher into the ruins, Sonya discovered what appeared to be a dais. There was a large circular platform built atop a massive cog that hung out over a pool of water. Sonya was able to recognize many of the glyphs now, and it was clear to her this location was the focal point of the ruins. She called down to Samael to bring Rasputina up alone. When Samael pushed Rasputina onto the platform, Sonya was crouched down, finishing a translation of a sequence of markings etched into the platform's surface. Standing, she gestured to the center of the ring. Put her there. Samael complied a little more roughly than was necessary, but Sonya was too wrapped in her work to pay much attention. Rasputina's manacles sparked and shone briefly with St. Elmo's fire as she stood at the epicenter of the ruins. But Sonya knew that the anti-magic runes in the manacles would prevent the witch from causing any trouble. She fished a charcoal pencil and a scrap of paper from her satchel, checked her notes, then wrote a few words and held it up in front of Rasputina. All around, guardsmen and marshals huddled, silently watching. None of them seemed anxious to get too close to whatever was about to happen. Only Lady Justice and Samael joined Sonia and Rasputina on the dais itself. Read this aloud, Sonia commanded. The words Dr. Highland spoke, as recorded by Mr. Toomers, were a sequence to open the ruins. But he never finished the sequence. I think, from what I've read here today, that we should all be quite glad of that. But the complete invocation is in the journal, and I've deciphered it's in verse. This sequence should close it once and for all. She fired a look at Justice. If Midsquid pitches testimonies to be believed, 
And this ruin is the source of the energy fueling the resurrection of Zard. This should sever that connection. We should be certain, Sonya, Lady Justice warned. Certainty is an excuse for inaction. Sonya narrowed her eyes and thrust the note at Rasputina again. Read this. Close Kythera? Rasputina asked, a tight smile on her face. Whatever you say. The drizzling sleet became a sudden squall. Sonya felt the impossible surge of power a fraction of a second before Samael and Justice reacted, but it was too late. The clouds above cracked with a furious boom of thunder, and a blast of ice-cold wind drove straight down upon Rasputina and exploded out from her with the force of a thousand shrieking tempests. The hurricane blast sent the guardsmen and marshals tumbling, knocking them off their feet. Many of them landed in the water, their shouts and cries joining the howling swirl of wind above them. Rasputina, standing at the centre of this vortex, was completely undisturbed. The ferocious wind and driving sleet continued to batter down against everyone else. Sonya was driven against the edge of the platform as she struggled to draw her sword, momentarily powerless. Rasputina touched her fingers against the cuffs that bound her wrists, and a bitter frost spread across the iron shackles. Knocking them together, they shattered into fragments. She looked at Sonya with unbridled hatred. You think your pitiful runes can stop him? Here, in the place of his final triumph? Her hands free, she threw her arms above her, reaching out to the swirling storm above. Looking into the sky, Rasputina called out, her voice ringing above the wind. December! Remember your promise! Till Grand Kythera fell! At those words, the ruins shuddered, groaned, and moved. Those guardsmen and marshals who'd not been pitched into the frigid water were knocked off their feet by the quaking of the structure. Below the dais, Seamus fought against his manacles, raging spittle flying from his bruised lips as the ancient gears turned and the towering limbs of the Kythera machine edged closer and closer in the grey sky. No, he cried as his guards wrestled him to the deck. Why do you want to close it, you mad witch, or I'll tear your heart out? Seamus spoke. To grand Kythera Dow. Koythira Hayadau. Behind Rasputina, a nest of writhing inky tendrils formed from the bitter air. The wind that had been blasting outward now turned inwards, the force of the gales concentrating on a single point, and at its heart the body, limbs, and head of the tyrant entity known as December took shape. It was a giant, twice as tall as a man, covered in thick white hair that moved of its own accord to form momentary glyphs and strange runes. Its arms stretched all the way to its hoofed feet. Claws of twisted horn scoring gouges through the ice and iron beneath. A great toothy maw opened in its blunt, bullet-shaped head, and December bellowed a thunderous roar of triumph. The breach is closed. The shackles of death have been cut. I live again. Are you repulsed by having unsightly scrap cluttering up your property? Bring it on down to Ramos' Scrapyard, and we can turn your scrap into scrap. Under pressure and can't load it up yourself? No problem. Give us a shout on the box, and we will send over some of our hand-picked men from the MSU to pick it up and pay you on the spot. Remember, don't let that scrap rot away. Turn it into scrap today! By contacting Ramos' Scrapyard, located just off downtown Malifaux, 
in the industrial zone. Member of Miners of Stingfitters Union, local chapter number one. Quick, whilst the other child is calmed by the thought of cut price scrap, part two of The Wendigo. Rasputina stepped in front of it. December, we made a pact. Remember your oath to me. Throwing its arms wide, the inky black tendrils that wound about the creature were cast off. Have you any idea how it feels to hunger for so long, but to be nothing but a spirit? You can live on dreams, but a god cannot. With surprising speed, it leapt off the dais and onto a walkway. It scooped up a screaming guild officer in both hands, forced its head inside his mouth and stripped the flesh from his skull with its razor-sharp teeth. The man, somehow still alive, kept on screaming until December snapped his spine and tore his belly open, holding the body above its head and devouring the man's innards. Panic spread like wildfire, and many guardsmen turned and ran, but the rest and the marshals were made of sterner stuff. Weapons were drawn and a hail of bullets flew at the huge creature. Rasputina ducked aside to find shelter from the gunfire, but the weapon seemed to have no effect on the monster. It leapt and struck again and again its huge claws rending the officers' bodies in gleeful carnage. From nowhere, Sonya appeared to lunge at the creature, burying her blade in its belly. December paused in its gluttony, a terrible smile forming on its face. Nothing in this world can harm me. The monster pulled the blade from its chest before batting Sonya aside with a sweep of its hand, sending her toppling into the water. Just as Sonya's head emerged, it blew a breath of bitter air at her, freezing the water with a snap and trapping her. It hurled Sonya's sword, embedding it deep in the ice. Lady Justice Greatsword was already sweeping soundlessly through the air, aiming for December's neck, but once again the huge creature had a lightning speed that belied its size. Turning almost lazily, it caught the blade edge on in one hand, and then smashed Justice to the deck with the other. December howled in joy. These are your heroes. This world and the world of men will know a new age, an age of eternal winter. Your heroes will be consumed, and their strength will be added unto mine. You can start with me. On the dais, a woman stood, her long red cape flapping in the wind. Her sword was held out to the side, and one outstretched hand beckoned December in the most insolent of challenges. The spires of Kythera had ceased moving now, and they leaned in steeply to enclose the dais. But December still reached it with a single leap twisting to pass through the spires. When its hooves slammed down, the woman had gone. Or me, it was the same woman, standing on a walkway at the side of one of the spires. But she was not exactly the same. Her clothes and boots were different, and she was carrying a pair of swords. December growled in frustration and hurled the upper torso of a mutilated guild officer at her, but the doppelganger spun out of sight behind the spire, only to reappear at the other side, behind December. She leapt onto the dais, katanas flashing in the grey light. As quick as December was, she matched it step for step, dancing around the creature, dashing in to slash one-two and springing back again out of reach. But as much as she was enraging December, her strikes were having no effect. December advanced, driving her back. But she circled around the dais and started again. December ceased his growling, fell silent and waited for his moment. He fainted one way, dashed another brought her sword sweeping about, and the tyrant grabbed her around the waist, his giant horned claws easily encircling her. It brought her up to its reeking, gore-filled maw. How I have longed to taste the blood of your kind again. 
These fools know nothing. But why did you even try and fight me? Nothing in this world can harm me. The doppelganger gasped as December tightened his grasp. But there is much that is new in this world, December. My people have been plotting your death for centuries. Victoria, leaping from a high walkway, fell silently on December from above. The Masamune pointed straight down like an arrow from heaven. The blade passed clean through December from skull to groin, although it left not a mark in doing so. Victoria bounced off December's back and rolled across the dais, springing to her feet, her red cape snapping. The doppelganger felt December's grip loosen, and she wrestled free. December staggered back, twisting to look at Victoria. One giant hand reached out to her, and at that moment Victoria saw that it grasped the power of the blade in her hand. The light in its eyes grew dim, and December fell forward. December's death was like the ringing of a great bell in reverse. A deep low sound that reverberated in Victoria's chest began to build higher and louder, reaching a crescendo that had every man and woman at Kythera falling to their knees and clutching their ears to drown it out. And then, just when it seemed to Victoria that her head could take no more, Silence broke over the ruins like a wave. For a moment the world seemed to hold its breath in awe. And then she heard again the gentle lapping of the swamp waters, the soft whisper of the wind and the racing of her own heart. It was over. The sheet of ice that had captured Sonia broke loose, and Lady Justice, the cloth over her eyes soaked with blood from a head wound, helped her out of the water. All over the ruins, the survivors of December's onslaught saw to the wounded or assisted others who had fallen into the swamp. Meanwhile, a furious Samael had found Rasputina, slumped unconscious, and was busy binding her hand and foot. Justice allowed Sonia to take a look at the cut on her head. It's nothing serious, said Sonia, wiping away the worst of the blood with the heavy cuff of her coat. Seems it takes more than a manifesting god to put a dent in that dense skull of yours. Justice allowed herself a rare smile. It was a brave thing you did, letting that creature turn you into an icicle so a proper swordswoman could get a strike at it. Glad you appreciate my sacrifice, although... Sonia paused, looking around. Speaking of proper swordswomen, where did those twins go? They seemed to be waiting for that thing to show. But the two Victorias had disappeared into the ruins as quickly as they had come. Sonia could find no trace of them, and was about to send some guardsmen out to look for them when she saw Molly and Seamus. Molly knelt, her hands cupped in front of her, the gorgon's tear glowing a sickly green. How she had got it back, Sonia did not know. Behind her, the two death marshals guarding Seamus slumped against the ruined walls, their faces slack and their eyes empty, their minds destroyed by the venomous power of the tear. Seamus stood, a look of breathtaking malice in his green eyes that seemed to feed on the glow from the tear. Behind Seamus, in the shadows, stood a woman with an hourglass figure and snakes for hair. And now, Missy, said Seamus, his voice like poison, we do what I came here for. As Sonia shouted the alarm, the woman leaned in and whispered to Seamus, her snakes caressing his face as she told him the words to open Kythera. To the grand Kythera Dow, repeated Seamus. Kythera Hoya Dow. The crooked spies had inched closed painfully slowly when the words of sealing had been spoken by Rasputina earlier. But now the cogs screamed with glee as the spires flung themselves apart, as if eager to fulfill their true function. Seamus gave a savage scream of joy. Lady Justice and her death marshals arrived at Sonya's side, weapons drawn. But the violent quaking of the ruin quickly had them all clinging onto the superstructure for support. The massive cog under the dais turned with a sound like the world's ending. And as it turned, the water beneath turned too. 
spiraling into a vortex that spun faster and faster. What happens when Kathera opens? Justice shouted. I don't know for sure, Sonya yelled back. But she had translated enough of the glyphs to have a rough idea. Best case, death itself. Seamus staggered to the edge of the platform, somehow avoiding being pitched into the churning waters and gazed into the maelstrom. He held on tight to the rail, his eyes wild with anticipation. It's coming, Molly, he hollered. You've got to come and see this. It's beautiful. The sky darkened. From deep within the vortex, an inky black tentacle shot out. It was similar in size to the ones that had been wrapped around the spirit form of December before it had manifested and sloughed them off. But this was much larger. It tethered itself to one of the ruined spires overhead. The tentacle contracted, thickening as if it were drawing up some immense bulk still hidden beneath the water. Another black tendril shot upward, drenching the people still clinging on for life. This one was forked in the middle, and lashed around two different spires. A third tentacle sprung forth, and together they tightened, hauling up a great weight. Justice worked her way over to Sonya as the ruins threatened to disintegrate around them. It's big, she said. Think we can handle it? Sonya shook her head. That maelstrom is linking this world to another, but the dimensions are all warped inside. According to what I read, anything coming through it will revert to its true size once it's all the way out. And how big is that? About a hundred times as large as it looks now. For Seamus, this was ecstasy. For years, he'd been convinced of the existence of a dark tutor, the grave spirit who taught the art of necromancy to old Malifaux through dream and inspiration. However powerful the grave spirit was, it was but an echo of the true power of death it represented. This entity, hauling its way into Malifaux, was the ultimate source and primal cause of all death, in this world or any of them. And it was intelligent. Intelligent beyond any mortal's comprehension. This timeless being had engineered this gateway through visions and instructions to a people now long dead. Its patience knew no bounds. And after an eternity, it had arrived to claim another world. He was certain he was watching the beginning of the end of this world and the weight of that realization filled him with maddened bliss. This is it! This is the end! Seamus cackled with insane glee. What a spectacle! This is a first-class circus, Marley O'Gall! An earth-splitting blast shook the ruins. Chunks of stone and red-hot scraps of metal rained down like hailstones. But it took Sonya a moment to realize it had not come from the maelstrom. She looked wildly around for whatever new dark apocalypse was upon them. And then she looked up. Standing astride the giant ruin was an immense machine that blotted out the sky. Its polished shell and straight, unembellished parts marked it as a creation of this age, a machine of man. It had a segmented hull and towering, articulated legs that dwarfed the pillars of Kythera. Seething clouds of black smoke from unseen chimneys along its spine were lit red by the fires beneath, making the machine look as if it walked through hell itself. On the underside of the hull, row upon row of turrets spun. It brought to bear its guns, and another volley of cannons fired upon the black horror at the heart of the ruins. The Leviathan was a god born of this age. Where the gods of old Malifaux had fallen, this god of steel stood. The cannons fired again, the explosive rounds demolishing the Dark Temple. The great amorphous force of death stood untouched against the onslaught, but the damage to Kythera was too great and the maelstrom began to collapse inward. The nameless horror made one last effort to haul itself clear of the breach, 
and the weakened pillars of Kythera finally gave way in a thunderous shearing of gears and rending of metal. The black tentacles whipped back through the collapsing vortex, trailing wreckage in their wake, and then it closed forever. The final shattered ruins of Kythera slipping beneath the dark waters. So that is the first of many sagas from Malifaux wrapped up neatly. As the announcer, I have been so honoured to bring them to you time after time. I also look forward to doing the same with many more tales, but that is yet to come. All that there is left to do is say have a good day and keep yourself safe because bad things happen. Epilogue. Far away from the destruction of Kythera, three women gathered around a bubbling cauldron in a hut deep in the bayou woods. One was very young, barely more than a girl. The second was tall, proud, and warlike, and the third was wizened with age. There was a sense of weary relief in the air, but also one of renewed tension. The old woman held her hand over the simmering stew, and the surface stilled becoming as reflective as a pool of quicksilver. The surface did not reflect the images of the three women, nor even of the ramshackle hut. Instead, it showed Kythera and the aftermath of its destruction. Towering over the wreckage of the ancient temple was Ramos Leviathan. Ropes spun from hatches in the belly of the Iron Beast as a hidden winch turned them. From the murky water, the cables hoisted Ramos in the unconscious form of Rasputina. They disappeared within, and the titanic machine headed off into the swamp. It was a while before any of them spoke. What can we do if man can create behemoths like that? The youngest asked, gnawing on a knuckle. You of all of us know the answer to that, Pandora, said the warrior. What you see there is nothing without man to control it, and man is a brutish animal, impatient and greedy. If we make a tool of man, then his tools become ours as well. Lilith is right! said the old woman. Ask a caterpillar what the end of the world looks like, and it will show you a butterfly. It all depends on how clearly you see. December's undoing was that it did not consider that times could change. We must not make the same mistake. This leviathan is new and fearsome, but in the right hands it could be as pleasing to us as a butterfly. Come, we should not be so glum. You both did well and played your parts perfectly. Pandora proved the Masamune was everything we hoped it was and delivered the guide to our chosen assassin. And you, Lilith, ensured that the witch would meet Ramos and inspire him to reveal his hidden weapon. The pieces were delivered precisely as the cards predicted. The image in the mirror shifted to the Erebus. Sonia, Samael, and Lady Justice stood aboard, as did a small contingent of their surviving officers. The vessel sped away from the collapsed ruins. Everything does seem to have gone according to plan, Zoraida, Pandora mused. No, not everything. The mirror changed again, and this time showed Seamus and Molly struggling through the marsh, waist-deep in brackish water.
The head of Philip Tumors bobbed along behind Molly, secured by a couple of ropes. Around her deathly pale neck, Molly wore the Gorgon's tear, no longer glowing as it had at Kythera. A spectre has managed to evade her notice all these long years, Zoraida said, pointing at the gemstone. She has proven herself a most dangerous player. Her interest seems to lie not in returning to life, but in sowing destruction. Without Ramos' titan, she would have succeeded. Lilith reached out and touched her fingertip against the glassy pool. The image rippled, and the view shifted, showing the canoe shared by Alice Victoria and her doppelganger. The corpse of December lay across the middle of the small canoe. Our schemes against this new entity will be hindered by this woman. The reading you gave her, Zoraida, was proof she would decipher our designs. She will realize she has been manipulated. All these things we will address in good time, said Zoraida. Remember that patience won us this victory. The cannibal is slain. His spirit is destroyed. The vortex of Cathera, opened so long ago, is now closed at last. Let us wait and see if the cancer will recede now that it is destroyed. And in the meantime, let us watch these creatures in their machinations and learn how to best use them. The three women rose as one. As they left, the fire beneath the cauldron blew out. The liquid inside cooled, and the quicksilver surface stilled.